Hi, it's episode 130, and today we're talking about letting go, letting go of unrealistic expectations and things that just aren't serving us. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Welcome to episode 130. This month on the podcast, we're talking about self-care in parenthood. A lot of times we develop these unrealistic expectations and ideals that start right early during pregnancy and postpartum. Before we jump into today's episode, here's a quick word from the sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Casper. If you're anything like me and you get decision fatigue, then shopping for a mattress is probably overwhelming. I know that when I walk into a mattress store, as soon as I've laid down on three or four different varieties, I have them all mixed up in my head. You spend a third of your life sleeping, so this is a big decision because you want to be comfortable. Casper is easily the internet's favorite mattress. It has over 20,000 reviews, averaging 4.8 stars across Amazon and Google. So if simplifying the mattress buying process appeals to you, I encourage you to try Casper. You can be sure of your purchase because you get 100 nights risk-free. If you're not happy with it, you can get free return shipping. No questions asked. But I think you're going to like it because the experts at Casper have worked tirelessly to make sure that you're going to get a quality night's sleep. And something else that I love is that everything has been designed and developed and assembled right here in the U.S. And right now for the Simple Families audience, you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash family and using promo code family at checkout. Certain terms and conditions do apply. So again, that's casper.com forward slash family and use promo code family at checkout. In case you're ever wondering how I find my podcast guests, I actually met Natalie at a pool party over Labor Day and she started telling me what she does. And I said, I have to have you on the podcast. And conveniently, we're focusing on self-care this month. And Natalie is a huge advocate and a great voice to talk more about this topic. Her programming at Better Postpartum fills this amazing gap to help support women in the early days of motherhood. But her wisdom doesn't stop there. I think you'll enjoy hearing from her about the expectations and ideals that she let go of as her children have gotten older. If you have questions or comments, you can leave those in the show notes. If you want to learn more about Natalie and her work, you can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 130. Hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Natalie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do? Yes, I would love to. Thanks. So I basically come from the background of being a childbirth educator. I've taught baby care basics for many years. And then once I became a parent myself, I realized that there was really no continuum of care into the postpartum time. So I devoted my life to becoming a postpartum counselor and support person and have run several postpartum support groups live and recently launched my online postpartum support class called Better Postpartum at betterpostpartum.com, which is essentially just a childbirth education class type model, but for everything after birth. Right. And I think it's so important because we do a lot of reading and classes and preparation up until the birth, especially reading about pregnancy and the baby comes and often we are unsupported and unprepared. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I found that out the hard way. (laughs) And I know many of the moms that I had worked with were feeling the same. And so this is really an answer to getting education to mothers 
preemptively or, you know, when they're already postpartum, it's not too late then too, to help them to avoid or alleviate many of the common challenges that arise in the postpartum time, including physical healing and recovery from birth, no matter what kind of birth you have, whether it's vaginal or cesarean, you know, it certainly takes its toll on the body. Even, um, you know, myself, I, I experienced some pretty textbook hypnobirth labors with very little pain. But then, you know, afterward, you still feel what brute force your body went through, right? So there's physical healing component. There's dealing with sleep deprivation and keeping your hormones and your moods level. They don't kind of spiral into depression or anxiety or other mood disorders. There's a lot that comes up postpartum, as many of the moms listening probably know. And what do you generally define as the postpartum period? I'm so glad you asked. It's interesting because we're trained to think of postpartum as being synonymous with those first three months when our newborn is in their infancy, but that could not be further from the truth. It's actually sometimes defined as the entire first year after giving birth. But science and physiology actually shows that a woman's body doesn't return to its pre-pregnant state until about two to three years after giving birth. So the definition could be extended to say that our body is in a, a state of postpartum health and, and you know state of being for those first three years. Right. And especially hormones shifting, if breastfeeding continues past the first year, I think you'll continue to see those sort of postpartum like hormone shifts, I would imagine. Yes, that's absolutely right. Exactly. If through the duration of breastfeeding, for sure. So in those early postpartum months that many of us do struggle, I feel like it's normal to struggle. I know that different cultures treat this time differently and encourage women to really take care of themselves. And what are your thoughts on that? I know in some Latin American countries, they call it the quarantena, where they get 40 days of rest. What do you know about how the world approaches the postpartum period? Yes. So the United States is sadly one of the only countries that doesn't really observe or do anything special for their mothers postpartum. Um, many countries in Europe actually have a special in-home care and extended maternity leave for mothers so that they're really placing an emphasis on care, the care that the mother needs in order to rest and recuperate and just, you know, really recover postpartum. The United States and Papua New Guinea are the two only countries in the world that have no paid maternity leave as being legally necessary. So <laughs> we're in a country that clearly doesn't value its mothers, sadly. And um, as you said, there are several cultures, Asian cultures, Latin American cultures, that observe periods of rest that are basically quarantines, like you said, and can start at 30 days. That's about the least that they go. So 30 to, to 40 days is average of really being a, a time of bed rest and just exclusive care and hand and foot waiting on the mother. Right. And I see the absolute opposite in the community around me. And when I see that my friends are having babies, I see things all the time on social media commentary around new moms getting out right after birth. You know, the new mom that is going for a run a couple of weeks after she had a baby, or she's at yoga two weeks after she had a baby. And I see the commentary like, whoa, you're such a rock star. Rock star is this word that really stands out to me. It's this excessive praise around really taking on a lot right after you had a baby. Do you see this sort of praise that we're giving to women? 
Yeah. Well, you know what that made me think of when you said that is, you know, maybe rock star is the appropriate term and not in a way of praise, but I'm thinking of rock stars and how they quickly burn themselves out and they really don't take good care of themselves and they just like excessively burn themselves out way too hard, way too fast. So maybe that is a rock star form of parenting. But yeah, it's it really is unhealthy to have these expectations. And a lot of the women that I've worked with have this idea in their head around the six week mark that that's when they can get you know approval for working out again or you know having intercourse again and those sorts of things and many women find that they're simply not ready at that time it's actually the norm to not be ready for that that type of but you're right we get these things stuck in our head that like you're supposed to do these things at six weeks or at three months or whatever it is and the doctor tells us it's okay or the doctor says go for it and we feel like if we don't do it then we're taking too long and we're not keeping up with the rest of society and we do really get stuck in these stories of what motherhood and postpartum are supposed to look like uh, yes absolutely and that is um one of the most silent and psychologically damaging things that happen to a lot of us perfectionistic moms or martyr moms who really strive for the ideals. And it's natural for us to fall into these traps because we simply want to do the best for our babies and be the best for our babies. And that is where um, a lot of this undue pressure comes from. Absolutely. What do you feel like in your postpartum period that you felt yourself doing because you thought you should be doing? Oh my goodness. Where would I start? I, I would say everything. I felt a crazy level of responsibility to my baby where I felt like it was my responsibility and my responsibility alone to care for this life. And that's not to say that I didn't accept help at times from, you know, family members and friends, but I really felt, you know, I'm the only one that can feed my baby and it has to be from me and on my body every time that the baby has a need around the clock. You know, same thing for running to my baby and making sure the baby never cried. I was very sensitive about, you know, ever letting the baby cry. I didn't want him to know any pain and and it it really got so far that I was not letting myself sleep. I developed chronic insomnia and anxiety because I just I never let myself relax. I always wanted to be, felt like I was on duty 24-7. It kind of leaked into every area of my life and became very quickly unhealthy. Right. And a lot of that resonates with me. I know that I was so determined to breastfeed in the early weeks of my firstborn's life. And it was so hard for me. I actually told my husband that he had to hide the bottles so that I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't resort to using them because to me in my mind that felt like this failure that I when the going gets tough, like you just keep going was what I yeah. told myself. And part of me says that that mentality did help me push through those really hard early days. But part of me also found that I kept that mentality past those early days and early weeks and ended up taking on too much and not accepting help when I should have. Exactly. And when you have that kind of rigidity, I mean, it's almost never healthy because there are so many supplemental ways that can help you on your breastfeeding journey. And um, we talked about how things kind of get in your head and you get attached to them. But this idea of nipple confusion, if you ever use a bottle or a pacifier, or anything other than your breast, you know, they're such extreme cases. And it's so rare in my work with women all of these years, I've, I've never seen a baby that this has actually happened to. So it's interesting how we kind of think that these things are 
off limits or, you know, it's like breastfeeding or, you know, anything that we decide has to be full on a hundred percent all the time when we can really be a little more forgiving with ourselves. And that does wonders for our mental and emotional health. Right. And this makes me think of when, right before I had my firstborn in 2013, there was some research study that came out that said it reduces SIDS risk if a child's feet are touching a surface. So instead of lying them in the middle of a crib, that they should be lying their feet touching the bottom of the crib. So I like latched onto that and I always put my son in the crib the same way with his feet touching the bottom of the crib. And now in retrospect, like it's this to me, it was just kind of so crazy because studies like this come out all the time and and you have to really evaluate those and take some of them with a grain of salt. But the re- what happened was I put him in this, the crib the same way every single time and he developed torticollis because he was looking towards the light and because he was positioned in the same spot in the crib every day, he was always looking the same way and his neck got stuck there and I had to end up taking him to a chiropractor for it. But that was me getting stuck in this, you know, I read this study and it said I was supposed to do this. And that is my tendency because I do want to do the best by my children and I want to give them the best. And I try to follow best practices whenever I can. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's where a lot of mothers get stuck. And that's, you know, one of the things that Better Postpartum really does address and tries to help mothers with is like, how do we overcome these challenges? Because they really are so common and so universal. And, you know, that reminds me of my rigidity with breastfeeding, which, you know, you shared your story, but it was really to the point where I had La Leche League at one point come to my house. I had a lot of specialists try to help me breastfeed. And the leader of La Leche League in my hometown said that I had the worst nipple damage she had ever seen, which really struck me because they help all sorts of people and this woman for decades. And so that was kind of my first clue that my tireless perseverance (laughs) to working toward this goal actually pushed me past the point of being able to do it. So I actually didn't end up being able to breastfeed my first son because I was wanted it too badly. And I was trying so hard to never give myself a rest or a break or, you know, supplement using any other device or, or form of feeding. And it's it's interesting how attached we can get to these things to our own detriment. Right. Because we build up in our minds what motherhood is supposed to look like. And when it doesn't fit into that perfectly shaped box, it we can feel like a failure sometimes. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. This makes me think of the attachment parenting community. And I know that a lot of the listeners are attachment parents and that they follow this community closely. I, however, have always had my reservations about the movement. And I think it's because it feels like this very clear-cut box that in order to be an attachment parent, you need to breastfeed and co-sleep and baby wear. And you have to check all these boxes in order to define yourself as that. And now I know not everyone takes it so literally, but I think when we set ourselves up with such a clearly shaped box that it's really hard to fit in that. And when we don't fit into it, we tend to feel like we're failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. This is just another lesson in being forgiving with yourself, really, because if you are a very concerned and very nurturing and very loving parent that tends to all of your baby's needs, right? Make sure that your baby's basic needs are met, then you are attachment parenting in my mind. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to share your bed with them or, you know, they can sleep, 
you know, at your bedside or even in a room down the hall. And that doesn't make you any less loving than someone who chooses to do something differently. Right. And I am fully supportive of all the tenets of attachment parenting. And I practice most of them myself. But the fact that we sort of create the situation where we need to do all these things, even if these things might not necessarily be serving us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then that's that's just really placing limitations on yourself and your parenting as well. You know, it's really about everyone finding what works for them. Right. And the reality is that even if you want to co-sleep with your baby, you might find that you don't really get good sleep. And if you get into the mindset of you're a co-sleeper and that's what you do, and the reality is it's having a negative impact on your sleep or your child's sleep or your partner's sleep, whatever it is, that that has to be considered. You have to look at it from the bigger picture, right? Yes. Yes. This is one of those things that I run into a lot with the women that I work with as well. And, you know, I dealt with it myself in my own experiences with my kids, but just this idea, like you said, of I really like the way you phrase it of like, what serves me? Because when you get attached to these things like co-sleeping to your detriment. So you're trying to do it just based on principle alone, even though it's not working for you and your family and not serving you and, and quite possibly hurting you. What ends up happening is you're not able to be the best parent that you can be. So like I said, it starts affecting your mood. It starts affecting many other tenants of your life. And then perhaps you're rigidly holding on to these ideals and like making sure that you are co-sleeping and yet you're short-tempered or you're doing other things that you're not proud of or you know, you're not parenting from a place of well-being and, and love. And that happens when our, you know, our basic needs aren't being met and sleep is one of them. <laughs> Right. And it's hard to sort of wrestle this idea of like, if to go on to use co-sleeping as the example, to wrestle this, you know, I think I'm supposed to be co-sleeping and that's what's best for my baby, but actually it's not really best for me. And putting yourself in front of your children. And I know that so many people struggle with that. They do. They do. And the best analogy that I can offer to help women with that is the one about the oxygen mask. And you may have heard this, but it was just like on an airplane when you're told, you know, that if something's going wrong in the cabin, make sure that you secure your oxygen mask first before assisting others. And it's the same thing with parenting in every facet you can apply it to. Because if you aren't breathing, if you're not doing well, you're not able to take care of anyone else. And so then you're hurting both of you. Right. And it's really easy to fall into that pattern of being selfless and being a martyr. And we can feel like, you know, that's what moms are supposed to do, especially if our own mothers and the examples in our life live that way. Yes. Yes. And I think this ties back to what stories do we have personally, societally, culturally surrounding motherhood and what it's supposed to look like? Um, Because I do think that there have been really one-sided and unhealthy patterns all throughout history, uh, relying you know, way too much on women, mothers themselves, at least in recent history. But of course, historically, we do know that it, it is supposed to take a village and being more forgiving with ourselves and trying to model that, trying to understand that 
parenting is a job that is far harder than one person can do alone or even one set of parents can do alone. And so creating the space in that realization to say, I need to do things that serve me, that fill up my cup, that give me a break or a reprieve or you know anything like that. I mean, I think since we're talking about this theme of rigidity and the things that we held onto to our own detriment, I think of how attached I personally was as a parent to having zero screen time. I was very, very serious about that. And that very much aligned with my my morals at the time. But I realized that I was wearing myself thin, constantly being the sole caregiver and provider for my child and always entertaining my child like a clown parent because I wouldn't rely on anything else. And so it, it came to the point where I was so exhausted and depleted and resentful, really, at the end of every day for having to work so hard without any reprieve and any break. And um, now that I have, I have a second son as well. And so things changed and I, I, I loosened up a little bit after having my second, which I think happens a lot. But now I actually allow my eldest child, who's now almost five, to watch an hour of television every day while my youngest son napped. And that means that I get one hour to myself to reset and recharge in the middle of every day. And that has made all the difference in my lifestyle. It's That was the thing that fills me up and makes me lo- no longer feel resentful at the end of the day. So I think it's wonderful when you can find you know whatever that is and give yourself permission to do that, what's best for you. Yeah. And the screen time example really resonates with me because I've been back and forth with screen time in our house. I also entered motherhood with the mentality of I wanted to limit screen time. I don't think I ever thought it was going to be zero, but I knew that I wanted to keep it really low. And my son never had any until my daughter was born. And she was, let's see, he was a little over two. He was like two years and three months when she was born. And one of the things, I feel like there are always things that you that no one told you and didn't think to tell you. And no one told me that when you have a toddler and a newborn, that the toddler's not going to sit next to you quietly while you're trying to nurse and get the baby down for a nap. <laughs> so that was this huge struggle for me because I needed to give the newborn my full attention. But at the same time, I needed to make sure that my toddler was safe and I needed him to be relatively still and quiet so I could do what I needed to do. I had set up my daughter's room very thoughtfully about this. I got a double wide rocking chair so he could rock with me while I was nursing her and getting her down to a nap. I set up a reading corner in the nursery so he'd have a place to sit and read. No, none of that worked. Not at all. (laughs) Uh, But it was also coupled with all of those postpartum hormones that I was dealing with and that I probably wasn't as patient with him. He was dealing with change. He just, those things just were not working for us. And when it came down to it, I needed him to be quiet and sitting still so that he could be safe while I was tending to his new sister. And I ended up letting him watch a 20-minute show every time I put her down for a nap. And I really feared that I was setting up this really dangerous dynamic that we were never going to emerge from. Mm -hmm. And we totally did. Like once, I mean, once that period passed the first six months and she was onto that two nap a day, she wasn't napping all day on and off. Once she settled into a rhythm, we scaled back on the screen time and it's not been a problem. And I just, I look back and I wish that I wouldn't have given myself such a hard time about it. And I wish I wouldn't have beaten myself up so much about it. That's exactly right. And I've done that to myself too. I've been there. And um, 
And I hear stories like this time and time again. But it's so interesting how we so easily convince ourselves that these things are so all or nothing or that these things are such like a gateway drug that they're so irreversible, (laughs) you know, that if you had to rely on a pacifier one time or a bottle one time or screen time one time, that it would become this monstrous habit and be out of your control to change is, you know, it's almost laughable because it's it's not realistic in practice. <laughs> it's not that scary. Yeah. And that was really, that's something that I always share with new moms who are having their second babies now. And I always say that, because, especially because I'm such an advocate for limiting screen time. And I do talk openly about that a lot. <laughs> Whenever I have a friend that's having a second or a third baby, I'm like, just be open to using the television. Yeah. <laughs> you need it. Let yourself use it. And I know that a lot of people don't hesitate. And I really admire those people that aren't so rigid and that really are able to be flexible with and give themselves more grace. And that's something that I definitely strive towards. Mm-hmm. Myself included. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that as as my kids get older and I get more experienced at this motherhood stuff, like I do feel like I'm getting there and I'm becoming less rigid and more confident in the fact that I can let things go. Yeah. And it's great because this is good parenting advice for parents of any age child. Right. We're not just talking about something that you can apply to postpartum and babies, but it's really it's kind of one of those lifelong lessons of of adjusting and parenting. And I think another important thing is to allow yourself to change your mind as you grow and evolve as well, because it's not like you have to feel the same way about things as you always did all the time. You can adjust as needed. So permission to do that as well. Yes, absolutely. Now, when we talk about filling our cup back up and practicing self-preservation so that we can really be there and be present for our kids, you were talking about the hour after every afternoon that you have. Now, I find that if I get sucked into a spiral of like vegging out on Instagram, I feel so unwell and like so not rejuvenated. But it happens. I mean, it definitely happens like pretty much every night. Mm-hmm. But what do you do that you feel like is makes you feel good and makes you feel better prepared to face the rest of the day when you have that hour in the afternoon? Oh my goodness, you're asking a workaholic. I honestly don't know that I always use my time wisely. And I think that's like another one of those things where someone might say like, oh, I think the right answer here is like, I meditate or I go for walks. And those are all obviously wonderful things to strive for. But I think it's just giving yourself permission to do as much or as little as you want to do with that time that given day. I think that is, I think it's like such an in the moment, like what do I desire? What would bring me pleasure on this day in this moment? And, you know, sometimes it's, it's like fascinating when you really check in with yourself on that level. You know, sometimes it's like, I want to put my feet up and like stare at the wall and drink a cup of tea (laughs) until my child wakes up. And, you know, other times it's like, I'm going to do yoga, right? But it's fascinating when you get into that practice of following your pleasure. And that's actually another thing in the Better Postpartum eight-week online program. We have life coaches and therapists and a pleasure coach, actually, who talks about this very thing and, and just helping women reconnect to that voice inside that can guide them to their pleasure and to finding what would be really therapeutic for them. 
Right. And you mentioned that you're a workaholic and that's usually what you do in your downtime. And last week's episode was why work can be self-care. And I oh, do awesome. really think that work fills my cup up. And when I have time to myself, that's usually what I'm doing too. But it it's because I enjoy it and it gives me fulfillment. Is that, do you feel like that? A hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent. Actually, it's really nice to have a you know if you're that kind of person where you feel inclined, like you need a creative outlet, and you really like thrive when you're you know using that that skill set. It does. It gives me life. <laughs> yes. So it seems contradictory. Like you should be like going out and like getting a massage and doing something like that. But sometimes yeah. it feels good just to be sitting at your computer, like sending emails, which yes. is funny, but it feels like such a break from like the in and out daily parenting, which can be so physically and emotionally exhausting. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Right. So do you work in any other pockets of the day to give you some time and some downtime? When else do you find yourself really filling your cup up? You know, I wake up before both children every day. And I usually have 30 minutes to an hour where I can just check with myself and either, you know, start the day off working a little bit or just laying in bed quietly and pretending I'm not up because and it's, I just relish in the fact that nobody needs me yet. <laughs> and that's very restorative me time. Then I'm like ready to hit the ground running. I feel very happy once my children wake. It's almost like, oh, I missed you because <laughs> I've had that time to myself, you know, and also the nap time brings a great reprieve in the middle of the day. And then we enjoy that together time as a family until bedtime. And then I have more time to work or spend with my husband. Yeah. You talk about the mornings and I sort of have this vision of, I sometimes will wake up before my kids, but I rarely can execute it. I do get onto kicks where I do it really well. And then uh, there are a lot of other times. Oh yeah. It's not for everybody. I mean, sleep is so magical that (laughs) I would recommend sleeping probably above all else. Right. But if you get up before your kids, you don't have to get up and like write in a gratitude journal. Like you can get up and just drink a cup of coffee in quiet. Like I think there's this idea, especially because there's been a lot written recently and a, a lot said about developing this healthy morning routine. And sure, if you can develop a morning of calm and peace and exercise and all these wonderful things, that's wonderful. But at the same time, also knowing that if you're just getting up and sitting at the table, drinking a cup of coffee and quiet, like that's perfect too. Yes, it really is. That is meditative. To, to any mother I know, that would be meditative. Being able to drink <laughs> yes. coffee alone, check. Well, well, it's still hot for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit more about how the Better Postpartum Program works. I'm curious to know. Oh, wonderful. So Better Postpartum is an online program. We have different packages and variations, but the fully supported mama is the most popular one. And essentially, a woman who signs up for the program gets daily email video clips for that span the eight weeks. And they are basically sound bites from leading experts in maternal health care. So everyone that you would want to hear from um, giving their advice and best care practices on postpartum care, optimal postpartum care, so that you can really nurture yourself and take care of yourself. It's a program that focuses on the mother and her physical, emotional, and mental well-being, and also on prescriptions for avoiding or alleviating, you know, all of the challenges that come up with, you know, baby sleep and breastfeeding and physical recovery and hormonal nutrition. 
So it's a really, really supportive program featuring midwives, doulas, lactation consultants, therapists, mindfulness coaches, and more. So it's a very complete and comprehensive program and and it's one of a kind. And it's basically aimed at teaching mothers who have completed their childbirth education. So pregnant moms who are in their third trimester and getting ready to welcome their first or or really any subsequent child or from mothers who are already postpartum and maybe running into challenges and then and then they need a little advice or help. That's great. Do you see people giving it as gifts for baby showers? You know, that just started as a trend and I'm so thrilled to see it because I think that is the perfect gift. I think it's so much more helpful and meaningful than enforcing materialism. We don't need a lot of things really when we have babies. Our babies primarily need us, (laughs) you know, in a warm, comfortable place to sleep. So since they need so little other than shelter, it is one of the best gifts that you can give is giving a program like Better Postpartum to moms at their showers. I think it's a great idea. I just think about sometimes when I struggle to give a gift to a friend who's having a new baby and I look at the registry and it seems like they have everything and I don't want to give like one more thing that's going to turn into clutter. So I think that something like this would be really supportive and great for them. Do you have gift options? How does that work? Yes, thank you. It is. So you can just email me directly on the website. There's contact info, but you can just email info at betterpostpartum.com. And that's the way I, I set up these gifts options. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Natalie, this has been great talking to you about this. I feel like we have a lot in common. And as our children grow, hopefully we continue to let go of some of these ideals and some of this rigidity because I think that they're really going to benefit from it. And we will too. Yes. Yes. I think we already have. And I hope that everyone listening can too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about Natalie and Butter Postpartum, you can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 130 and you'll find the links there. You can also leave questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay in touch with Simple Families, you can go to simplefamilies.com and leave your email address at the top. That's the best way to stay in touch. You can get updates from the blog, the podcast, and what's going on in the community. When you have a second, please leave a rating or review in iTunes. That helps this show to reach more people and your support is so greatly appreciated. Have a good one.